Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's good? What's going on? Welcome to the Hogshaven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter, at hogshaven on Facebook. I am your host, Molly Maul. Jamal Forrest, you can find me on Twitter, at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the U. <laughs> L-A-T-M-U-A-L, Tell It on Twitter. Obviously, this isn't the voice that you're used to hearing. And let me go ahead and introduce myself. I am a writer for Hogshaven and am the new host of the Hogshaven podcast. I've been covering the team since 2016 for several different outlets and have been provided the opportunity to continue the coverage uh, of Washington through SB Nation's podcast platform as well. So I am looking forward to this journey with you all and and I'm outright excited, man. And I, look, Let's go ahead and look. Let me go ahead and get to my shout outs right quick, man. I'll be remiss if I don't give a proper shout out to the people that provided me with this opportunity, man. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mike. You know who you are uh, for everything to this point, man. And the working relationship that we'll continue to build on. I'm looking forward to seeing what that entails. As far as the show, you can expect about three to four episodes a week, some solo, some with the Hogshaven staff and uh, definitely some interviews throughout the course of the season. So um, this is definitely the content. This is the space you want to be, man. We're going to build this thing up and I want to make sure that um, we get this thing done uh, in, in a good way and, and, and make it a platform that's one of the best platforms out there for uh, Washington Commanders content. So yeah, man, without further ado, we are here to talk about the Washington Commanders and my intro was short, but let's get into these commanders. Full transparency, too. My intro episode won't be too long, but I did want to touch on a couple of hot topic items to kick things off for us. A um, couple things on the agenda, really. Uh, obviously, Sam Mills III is gone. That is a big story, whether you all want to believe it or not. I don't know where your thoughts are, but we're going to talk about it. Um, you know, Rama verified Sam Mills, that is his longtime assistant coach, uh, and we'll dig into that and explore a couple of theories that existed. Um, and then, obviously, there's a lot of talk about Carson Wentz heading into his first preseason game in Washington. Uh, we do know at this point that Ron Rivera plans on starting and playing Carson Wentz. So, you know, we'll kind of dive into uh, the reports of his inconsistent showings in training camp. And just to get a, a gauge on exactly how uh, important those nuggets and, and news and information has been for Carson Wentz. Uh, this throughout the two weeks that he's been training at training camp for Washington. First thing up is Ron Rivera and Sam Mills, man. Obviously, as we said, Ron Rivera fired his longtime assistant, 
Sam Mills III. Uh, and we'll start off with a couple of quotes that came out yesterday, actually, um, pertaining to, you know, the situation and decision that he made. And it goes as following. You know, I made the change on the coaching staff. I relieved Sam Mills III of his duties. Just a difference in philosophy for the most part. And we'll go from there. That is how he kicked off the presser. Nothing else except for I made those changes to the coaching staff. I relieved Sam Mills the third of his duties for a difference in philosophy. Um, he also goes on to say, well, the reasoning is through some observations. And to me, meaning him, obviously, this is from Ron Rivera. It was I just felt it was a change that I need to make. Feeling there was a little bit of difference in the philosophy. Again, harping back on that philosophy thing. And the way it went about was weird. Um, we, we can talk about the timing and start off with that. Um, starting this thing off uh, on a random August 8th or August 9th, a couple of days before the start of the game, start of your first preseason game, and two weeks into to, to training camp, you're trying to figure out what in the world could have happened for Ron Rivera to feel this way, this like to reach a boiling point for Sam Mills in, in this situation and, and fire him before the season starts, before the, the preseason even starts and things like that. And you kind of want to know what that situation was and you dive into all these other ideas. And and some people even touched on the impact of Kerrigan and Warren Sapp being around. And obviously we know to this point, Jeff Zagonia, and I'm on this on this show. I'm just gonna call him Coach Z because uh, Lord knows I'm gonna butcher his name a couple times. So, <laughs> out of respect for him, let me go ahead and call him Jeff Zagonia. Uh, he is their offense, uh, excuse me, assistant defensive line, and he's been there since 2020. So he's been around for a couple of years, but obviously has some pedigree in the NFL, given his 17 years of playing experience, and he's also had other stints in other areas around the league as a defensive lines coach, and even I think as the top defensive line coach. So. Um, he's had some experience, but um, they're trying to figure out what the impact was or what the true reason it was. And obviously, we it, to even start everything off, we would have to go back to 2020, knowing that the relationship between Mills and the players altogether started off on the wrong foot. They didn't agree with how they were, how he was being, uh, how he was instructing the players. They didn't agree with that. Uh, there was a few people, notably, that's been coming out over the years in terms of Ryan Kerrigan, Matt Ioannidis, who's been struggling. John Allen, has to, to a degree, he's took issue with some of the ways in which um, uh, Sam Mills was kind of coaching this unit. And, you know, all of these things are important because it builds up a storyline in, in terms of how they're going to be able to overcome it. And for some time throughout the regular season in 2020, it was a problem. Um, and it suddenly died down when the win streak happened. Um, they were playing together. The defensive line unit was. Uh, then Sam Mills becomes quiet. However, things come back into a head in 2021 where a defensive unit who thought that that defensive line was going to be the reason why these guys are a uh, dominant defense <laughs> for the entire 2021 season ends up looking beyond nothing short of embarrassing for their standards. Um, this is the same unit between Montez Sweat and Chase Young who said that they wanted to break the sack record with uh, one another. Uh, so, you know, you kind of wonder exactly what this issue was. And obviously we get into it later on in the season where you even have a fight on the sideline. You're just trying to understand what this was uh, between Sam Mills and the players. And then you dig into 
Sam Mills and Ron Rivera. Rivera this offseason, and this is according to Sam Fortier of the Washington Post, who's put in, and it may be even public, like outside of uh, Sam Fortier, but in the Washington Post, he puts together an article in which he states that um, in the offseason, the same way the players have their end-of-the-year meetings with the coaches, the coaches have, or assistant coaches and coordinators, have their end-of-the-year meeting with Ron Rivera. And one of the things that Rivera said, according to three people who are close to the situation and have direct knowledge with the situation, says, I need to see more. I need to see better from these guys. And that's obvious, right? That's, that part itself is obvious. You don't have to worry about um, the fact that uh, Sam Mills was unaware or that he was aware. Like He clearly knows that they need to be better. But what was the underlying issue? What was the reason that people couldn't see past the fact that these guys were struggling or we knew that they weren't staying in their rush lanes or that these guys weren't disciplined? They were playing hero ball, solo ball um, at the line of scrimmage. Who knows? Like, was that because they just wanted they wanted to to, to outshine their uh, their teammates and, and get those sack those sack numbers or those stat numbers? They wanted to chase their own stats and, and not play as a unit. There was a ton of things going on last year. A ton of things, and we don't know exactly what the what the root cause what uh, of it was, but who was at the the core root of that disconnect? Obviously, Sam Mills is the one that was gone. He's the one that got the axe. Uh, but what was the rift between Rivera and Sam? It may have not even been that. You got to think about the players. We know that the players are upset, and I think with Rivera, when you talk about his coordinators, his players. Having an ear to the, to the streets in a sense, right? Understanding that these guys, between the coordinators, the players, and relaying information back to the coach, the head coach. Rivera kept Sam Mills for two years. Two and a half years if you want to count this offseason and preseason. Or excuse me, training camp. It may have not been the, it may have been the case that Rivera just said, you know what, it's just time to go. It's time to cut bait. Doesn't matter what time of the year in which it was done for him. I personally thought that if you want to get, get, a, get rid of Sam Mills, it had to be done like in January, February. And I honestly thought because they were struggling so much and that the rift that happened in 2020 clearly never went away. I thought that he should have been gone in January, February. But again, let's go circle back to this. If you feel like these undying concerns or complaints are going to end up causing a problem throughout the regular season and you've seen enough in two weeks to be evalu- to evaluate your guys and to evaluate your coach and say, you know what, it's time to move on. I'm going to make it happen. It's like a situation, I, I've told this story before, but it's like a situation like, think about your ex. And before you all get weird on me, <laughs> don't think Ron Rivera and Sam Mills are a couple when we use this analogy. But think about your ex, man, or an ex. And maybe you saw some issues early on in your relationship before you all decided to go exclusive. But you saw these issues and you said, hey, look, I know what she got going on. I know what bothers me. I know what grinds my gears, but I'm willing to overcome it. I'm willing to overlook it because I ain't no sucker. I'm going to give this a shot. So you give it a shot. 
you make it exclusive. And some of these issues that you see, when you made an exclusive, they existed before that happened. Y'all were dating for five months. And you saw all these problems and you said, you know what, man? She asked me, what are we? I said, look, we a couple. Let's make this thing happen. But you see these things and all of a sudden these issues start popping up and it's it's to a point where like, yeah, I said I was going to commit. But in that same vein, I know what's better for my mental health. I know what's better for her mental health. I know what's better for both of us in terms of peace and not trying to push anything further that's going to cause us problems down the road. Is it worth fighting for? You know what's going to happen. You know what's going to be a problem. Sometimes it may not be worth fighting for. You know what Ron did? That man fought for two years. That man fought for Sam Mills for two years. He tried to tell that coaching staff, that defensive coaching staff, specifically probably Jack Del Rio, that this is my guy. I worked with him since 2010 or 2011. This is my guy. Trust me. Let his let this man do his thing with these group of players. We're going to make things shake. So he gave it a chance. He probably knew for some time that it wasn't working out. And lo and behold, whatever happened over the course of the last few days, Rivera saw his out. He said, bruh, I've messed with Sam. That's my guy. This is going to be a real tough decision. But at the end of the day, if I want peace, if I want an opportunity to see this defensive line happy, if I want to see other coaches who may have an ability to get through to these guys a little bit better, if I want them to have that opportunity to lead, if I want Jack Del Rio to flourish in whichever way that he wants to flourish through his play calls and through his scheme, I got to let Sam go. And I think that's where that's where Rivera was. I always thought about over the since I've been analyzing analyzing this analysis and this that would that would that would have been a stupid word, but I've been thinking ever since this happened, what could have Ron been mad at? What could Ron have been mad at with Sam? And I don't think he was truly ever mad at Sam. I don't think he was mad at Sam. Yes, he's the boss. Yes, it comes down to evaluating your talent and evaluating your staff. So ultimately, he does have to pull the trigger because there's something that's not working there. But I don't think he was upset in the fact that he thought that Sam was a bad coach. I just think that he realized that he still wasn't getting through to these players. And maybe even Jack Del Rio had an issue with Sam Mills. Because it's not always assistant coach Ron Rivera. It could be defensive coach, defensive coordinator, and assistant coach. Don't forget, Jack Del Rio was never part of a prior staff with Ron Rivera. Ron Rivera brought in a, but assistance, Jack Del Rio was the outsider. So you never know. And I just want people to understand, this is not only a Sam Mills and player thing. It may be Sam Mills and coordinator. And not a Sam Mills and Rivera thing. I'm sure that Rivera loves Sam Mills. And I think that's probably something he could have he wanted to avoid if he could and keep Sam Mills around. 
But I don't think he was connecting with these guys, man. And ultimately, uh, he had to let him go. But what does that mean for Kerrigan and Sapp? Um, do you all think that he's going? they're going to have any presence moving forward? Now, Ron Rivera did speak on Kerrigan. And uh, I think one of the things that stood out to me with Kerrigan is that he is an interesting individual from a coaching standpoint. Rivera has clearly stated, and he hasn't hit it, that you know, he wants to give Kerrigan as many opportunities as he can to shadow and to be around the team and, and see if he even likes coaching. But the bottom line for Ryan Kerrigan is that he'll be around for the foreseeable future sparingly, but he'll be around. You may see him here and there. Um, and if he likes it, I'm sure he'll be the one that Rivera hires next for the defensive line. More than anything else, it'll probably be him not as a defensive line coach, like the head coach, but he may be like an assistant or the main coach. Excuse me. I don't want to you know, confuse that. But he may be like an assistant to the assistant <laughs> to start things off. Um, so I just want people to understand that I don't think it had anything to do with Kerrigan. Warren Sapp was there lately. He's done two different showings, I believe, two different appearances. Uh, Rivera said that that was scheduled. The media didn't know. It was surprising for them, but Rivera said that that was already scheduled. So SAP has nothing to do with Sam Mills and his uh, absence or his his termination. Um, and neither does Kerrigan, I believe. I don't think that has anything to do with his termination either. Um, now, there is something that's a, that, that could be a benefit, but I don't think it's, hard, it's easy to quantify. Um, you know, there's always different t- styles of coaching. Uh, and a lot of people say that Coach Z is more of a vocal guy. Um, he has, uh, he's outspoken, I think. And I guess that's the term. And a lot of people believe that coach Z is the opposite in which, uh, Sam Mills was. And it's hard to say that that translates into production. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, coach Z, I believe got fired at his last stint with San Francisco. Um, and actually let me check because I believe he did get fired. Yeah. So Coach Z retired in 09, started his coaching career in 2013, and served as a defensive line coach in San Fran in 2017 and 2018. And he was fired in 2019, and he returned to coaching in 2020 with this staff, with the Rivera staff. So, again, two years of as a defensive line coach um, and then fired in 2019. So, understand, like, being outspoken can be a noticeable difference, but being outspoken doesn't mean you're better than the, the prior coach. And who knows if he's going to be able to be uh, be able to communicate more effectively than Sam Mills. Um, that's going to be something. Who knows if his philosophy and, and how he aligns these guys and what they what he wants done out of these guys is going to be uh, a benefit to these to to the players in terms of it actually translating on the field. Who knows? Um, but here's the bottom line with this move, and I'll end it with this one: is that. There are no excuses for Jack Del, v- Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera. There aren't any more excuses. When you look at scapegoats, understand that Sam Mills knowingly is a scapegoat and obviously is a scapegoat given the situation that he's had over the past couple of years and the, the experiences that he went through and then obviously the experiences that the players went through complaining about Sam Mills' teaching style and philosophy. The defensive line altogether struggled last year. This was from an execution standpoint and ability standpoint. 
Chase Young is gone now, and we don't know how long he's going to be out for. But all across the board, excluding Jonathan Allen, from a pass rush standpoint, struggled. Montez Sweat was able to have a productive season to an extent, but he has to work on his pass rush moves. I believe that uh, he's a really good power rusher, but at the same vein, if you aren't able to win with your hand usage and being able to get past the line, get past offensive tackles with more than just a bull rush and get thwarted in that way, you're going to struggle. Uh, Matt Ioannidis last year, we don't have to worry about him because he's gone. Tim Settle, same thing. You don't have to worry about him because he's gone. Uh, but Deron Payne, a guy who uh, I think wins with quickness more than anything. I don't think he's a block shutter in terms of pass rushing. I don't think his use of hands is as good as they should be. I think that uh, Deron Payne can develop in a pass rush area, which also will help him from a pace standpoint because he is in a contractual season. If he can develop in his pass rush sets and also stay disciplined in his rush lanes, I think you're in a situation with Deron Payne where uh, he can develop into one of the better all-around defensive tackles. But back to the point, Deron Payne struggled as a pass rusher. He wasn't a person who got upfield consistently and created havoc in the backfield. He was a guy who struggled penetrating uh, in pass rush situations. Then we go to Chase Young. Chase Young, before he was hurt, had explosive plays throughout the season, throughout his season more specifically. But in that same vein, um, he got out of his rush lanes multiple times. He tried to play uh, hero ball in a sense, uh, staying ex- like vacating his rush lanes and, and leaving uh, vacated spots for quarterbacks, specifically mobile ones, um, to create opportunity with their legs or even uh, extend plays and, and make plays downfield because they were able to extend plays. Um, it was all across the board in terms of a, a failure from a fa- pass rush standpoint. Sure, on occasion, they brought pressure. Um, sure, on occasion, they were able to stifle certain quarterbacks. One of the better games that they had, I think, uh, was against the Atlanta Falcons in their twist game up front with their five-man defensive lineman. I loved how they manipulated the offensive lineman. And when you run that five-man uh, defensive line, their Cinco package is what they call it. When you can run these twist games up front, it forces the, the offensive lineman to be more disciplined, play man-on-man, even bring in an extra blocker, which the Falcons ultimately did. And if you're an effective pass rushing team and and can play better in that regard, you're going to force a lot of hands and force a lot of offenses to stay in uh, five man, excuse me, six man pass protections, uh, maybe even uh, seven man if they want to keep a running back in as well. There's multiple ways to do this, but back to the point once more. There's no excuses on Jack Del Rio for Jack Del Rio. There's no excuses for Ron Rivera. You fired the guy who said, who was said to be problematic. If Jack Del Rio is in the same boat as he was last year with this unit who is clearly better than what their statistical output says, I need to see something. We all need to see something. And if you're better, if you're better than a, a top 20 defense code, like that ain't acceptable. But if you're top 12, if you're creating consistent pressure with the quarter, uh, consistent pressure on the quarterback (laughs) if you're being able to if you're able to do that on a week in and week out basis you're not facing some of the top tier quarterbacks this year um the offensive line and pass pro you have opportunity yes you're missing chase young but you chose jack del rio and ron rivera specifically ron for this one i know i shouted out jack but you all chose to not bring in any veteran edge rushers 
So you have Shaka Tony, William Bradley King, um, uh, James Smith Williams, uh, Casey Tuhill. You have all these guys, these second year and young young players, second and third year players, to fill in the void for Chase Young and also ultimately be those rotational key rotational pieces. These guys weren't bringing pressure either. Like they struggled as well, um, and it has a lot to do with their hand usage and being able to get off quickly and, and win, win around the edge and, and win that half-man relationship. Uh, these guys aren't necessarily able to do that on a consistent basis. And uh, while they do have uh, some good skill sets, uh, they're not putting it together on the field. And I'll say it once more, um, the pressure is on Rivera and the pressure is on Jack Del Rio. So we need to think about that. Up next, Carson Wentz, his inconsistency, are we concerned? Like I said, you know, there's a lot to be said about Carson Wentz and his inconsistent showings in training camp. Uh, I guess the bottom line when we talk about Carson Wentz to this point is, is it a lot to do about nothing or are there some true takeaways from these reports? Um... I think the important thing is to like, how do you even attack this question? Um, where is the the first point of attack when you're asking about Carson Wentz and his issues throughout training camp? Um, it's important to know, like Carson Wentz throughout his career, if I can even pull this up right now, he's never been like a 67, 68% type of quarterback uh, in terms of accuracy. That's never like been his thing. Um, he's had one year in which that was the case, and that was 2018, where he had 69% completion percentage, um, 21 touchdowns, seven picks, um, five and six record, by the way. But like, there's never been really like he's a career 62% passer, that, plain and simple, 62% passer, um, and that would have been good for <laughs> that would have been good for quarterbacks in like 04, 05. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to take into account that Carson Wentz is who he is. And he's always like at 30 years old, there's rarely renaissances for quarterbacks that late in their career. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the the one lone example of recent years and Ryan Tannehill as well. Like those are the last two people in terms of competent quarterbacks, people who struggled early on in their career um, and, and reimagined who they can be for a team. Like those are the those are the only two, and it's unfortunate that Ryan Fitzpatrick got his chance in Buffalo, and something fluke happened, and then, um, and his opportunity with the Washington Commanders or Washington Football Team at the time, he got his chance as well, and uh, he was forced to retire with a hip injury. Um, so to the point of Carson Wentz, you have to understand who he is first and foremost. Then you have to dig into, you know, the storylines throughout the throughout his career and. And what his flaws were and uh, his flaws weren't never anything out of out of the realm of what this conversation is about. And in terms of his turnovers, how he's seeing the field, how he's missing the layups and then accuracy, like random spouts of inaccurate play. That's always been the case. So we understand, first and foremost, what Scott Turner wants to get done and what was his envision what was his goal when he envisioned bringing in a Carson Wentz, right? Uh, again, Scott Turner is a vertical-based offense. He loves vertical concepts 
the receivers in Washington all have the ability to challenge downfield. Deami Brown is an excellent uh, third-level receiver. I love how he's able to win at the point of attack or the point of the, or the catch point. Excuse me. I love I love the way he ha- his skill set and how he provides uh, a different ability than um, most of the court uh, receivers that uh, Carson Wentz had played for outside of Michael Floyd last year. Um, there's or Michael Pittman. I don't know why I said Michael Floyd. I'm thinking of Arizona, <laughs> um, but Michael Pittman in 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 Indy. Uh, he Deami Brown alone brings that type of skill set for um Washington and Carson but he also has the speed to separate downfield as well once he gets under a football or once the football is out there for him to make a play uh one of the best routes that he can run is a post route um he's okay with the digs and things like that but all second third level uh type of routes he's very good at obviously Terry McLaurin he is a guy who can win on all three levels uh now I do think that Terry can kind of work on how he manipulates defenders to create separation for himself. If he's unable to create separation, um, like, cause there's a difference. Like he's an excellent, like what Terry is really good at. He's elite at the catch point. He's one of the, the rare guys in the NFL who can make some of the more impossible or improbable catches for your quarterback. That's his elite treat. He's fast. Sure. And he's really good after the catch. Really good at the catch, but he's elite at the catch point. He can be better as a route runner. Um, and when I say this, I want you all to understand um, there's nuanced cons- conversations when it comes to route running. And you have to understand, like, sometimes I don't think that he's the best with his tempo, which can help manipulate defenders. I think he understands coverage as well. But if he can get better with his tempo, if he can get better with uh, how he stems his routes um, and how he sets up his defenders, I think that he can be even a better receiver than what he is right now. And maybe all of this is uh, may takes a little bit more elaborating moving forward. And maybe I can get a guy on who can we can have a full blown conversation about Terry McLaurin. But uh, the point being, because we're talking about the receivers that uh, Carson Wentz has, we have a guy in Deami Brown who can stretch the field vertically, who has ways of getting open. He understands how to create separation. Um, on the, the deep areas of the field. Then you have Terry McLaurin, who was elite at the catch point. And then you have Jahan Dotson, who is one of the more balanced <laughs> and knowledgeable receivers coming out of the draft. And I'm not even sizing it. I'm not exaggerating. He knows what he's doing. And when I say he knows what he's doing, he's the guy who can create separation through uh, his change of direction, his head manipulation, he has the route tempo. And then he has the catch point ability where he can create separation, uh, subtle separation at the end. Like if the ball is in the air, he's a guy who runs a 4-4 on paper, but when that ball is in the air, it becomes a 4-3. That's how that's how much of a difference he makes for your receiving core. Uh, but then also he has the hands. He has natural hands. He has uh, a catch radius that from a 5-11 guy makes him look five. Uh, excuse me, 6-3, 6-4. So you bring him in, and you have Curtis Samuel. I'm leaving Curtis Samuel blank because I, I haven't I haven't even studied Curtis um, prior to his his uh, his his play in Washington, and there wasn't much to go off of last year. So I'm not going to sit here and say that I studied Curtis. I'm just going to sit here and say that he's a dual threat guy, and he's a guy who who can move uh, off the line of scrimmage uh, and 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 make some plays for Washington from a a, a variety of ways, whether it's running, motion, play action quick pass 
uh, stretching the stretching the seams at the slot position, whatever. Uh, we'll see with Curtis. But the point is, these catch radius guys, these guys who understand how to help a quarterback out, they all know how to help a quarterback out. The ones that I mentioned, and I didn't even get to the tight ends yet. So what does Scott Turner want to do? He wants to stretch the field vertically. He wants to attack on defense. He doesn't want to be conservative, and he has the quarterback to do that. Um, but then we transition to what we're seeing in training camp. And you're seeing a lot of inconsistencies from Carson Wentz in terms of he's holding the ball too long or he's he's having these inaccurate days in which or he's not having full days. Like he's not having full complete days in terms of like it looking good from start to finish. And my thing is like when you start from a team standpoint, think about how last year played out in the preseason. You can shrug preseason off as much as y'all want, but guess what? There are takeaways from preseason games. My thing last year, and for those who 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 know me, you all know that I host the Trapper Dive podcast as well. And on that Trapper Dive podcast, uh, which you can find on YouTube, just search it up. I asked Doc Walker last year. I said, "Look, um." Are you all concerned? Are you concerned at all with how this offense is playing? It's not the fact that they aren't, um, I mean, not scoring points is, is one thing, and that's still that's concerning for sure. But on the plus side of the field, they're not looking good at all. All of these mistakes are happening from an execution standpoint. Uh, plus side of the field, that's, that, is, that is opponent territory, and you're not executing. You're not converting on third downs, and then you're not getting in the end zone on top of that. So there's a culmination of things, and they weren't getting in the end zone at all. And you're trying to figure out why Ryan Fitzpatrick and this offense can't get things together. Then you transition to week one. And not only just week one, because Ryan Fitzpatrick got hurt, but not only just week one, throughout the course of the season, this offense, at least on the early stages of the year, was not on the same page uh, or or not cohesive enough to even uh, stack games together. They often found themselves trailing, um, and yes, that has a part to do with the defensive side of the football, but in that same vein, think about the fact that uh, you're always finding yourself down because you can't put up points quick enough, or you can't convert turnovers and things like that. I say all that to say, think about the preseason last year, and while we like to complain that preseason isn't nothing, understand that there are metrics that you can take away in certain situations that you can take away that you want to see them execute and say, okay, these guys are at least efficient enough. Like it isn't fluke. These guys are on the same page on third down. These guys are on the same page in the red zone because you're going to call some red zone plays, some basic red zone plays to see how you all execute. You want to see all of these things on the plus side of the field that tells me I'm confident in these guys moving forward. So, does Carson Wentz concerns about his inaccuracies or inconsistencies concern me? Yes. But from an individual standpoint, do I think that Carson Wentz is a, a problematic quarterback who is not going to take us anywhere because he's inaccurate in training camp? No. Um, this is who he is. He's always been an inconsistent quarterback. And if you understand that part, then you understand half of the story. The rest belongs to the offensive unit and if everybody can get on the same page with that being said that is my intro to you 
that is our intro to one another i'm looking forward to the content conversations and everything that we can build up here on the sb nation side talking all things commanders uh up next will be the commanders preview preseason preview <laughs> to be clear uh of what i want to see and what we should be focused on this upcoming game between the commanders and the panthers this saturday 1 p.m looking forward to it y'all be safe peace <laughs>